0: Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. So you can open your Bible with me to the book of Acts, um, and that's the fifth book of your New Testament. So in the second half of your Bible, you'll find these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll find the book of Acts, which is a continuation of the narrative that Luke, he's the writer of both Acts and the book of Luke. And he continues the story after Jesus' resurrection. So he's gone to the grave, he's resurrected, and now what happens after that? And we're going to read from that first chapter in verse six. And so just to bring up to speed, we are in the second last week I think this is week nine already. Can you believe it of this series of ours called "Jesus Uncensored?") Um, And we're looking at this idea of what it means to encounter the walking, talking, living God in Jesus. And we see all throughout his ministry, um, he encountered people from all walks of life. And the one common denominator was whoever they were, they were changed forever when they met Jesus. And we've been looking at these encounters, but also the actions of Jesus. We've been saying over and over again that Jesus did not simply come to leave as a teaching or a moral example. He came to do something on our behalf. He came to do what we could not do, and in that he said, in my cross, in my life, death, and resurrection, in what I've done, I now call you to reorient your life toward me in faith and repentance. So it's what he has done. His message of the kingdom of the gospel was not that you would do and do and do. His message is that I have done. It is finished. Now follow me in faith and obedience. And this week, we're going to look at the final act of Jesus on this earth, his ascension. And I told the guys beforehand, I'm sure that many of us would be able to say a whole bunch of things about the life of Jesus, but I think many of us would be dumbstruck to answer the question, what is the significance about the ascension of Jesus when he goes back to his father? It's quite a puzzling, it's a strange, actually, event. You're going to see we read this passage. It feels a bit strange. What's the point of this? It feels like it flies a bit over our head. Now, let me illustrate I don't know if you've ever been at a social setting, maybe a housewarming or a, you know, a bry or something like that. And then people start speaking about some high cultural thing or some movie or some book or some issue in politics and you have no idea what's going on. So you're just kind of nodding, you're trying to look informed and speak with them, but actually you've got no idea. So maybe you're at a bride and, you know, some of your, economically strong or investment friends, they stand around, they start speaking about Bitcoin. You ever had that? Like guys are, they speak about the ins and outs of investing in Bitcoin and they like, you know, your one friend is like, yeah, Yo, you know, I'm not sure. I think, you know, the, the blockchain technology has got great, you know, potential. But I'm not sure about it yet. And maybe the currency is not the way to go, but it's definitely a win for us in terms of the, the you know, dissemination of information. And, and Joe, what do you think about Bitcoin? And you're like, yeah, you know, I, I also think, you know, I also have coins in my pocket when I go to the mall. I think that's also, you know, it's a good thing. You know, you pay with your parking. That, you know, it's, you just, you have no idea what they're speaking about. Or maybe they're drinking wine. Your friends are like high-cultured people, and they're all drinking wine together, and you have no idea. Like, you didn't grow up in a house where wine was a thing. And so your friend, you know, he's twirling the wine, and he's kind of, you know, he's, he's just, you know, drinking it in. And then he takes a sip, and he's like, oh, yes, yeah, definitely. There's like the smoky kind of texture and you're just this, this faint, you know, diffidence or something like that. And you're like, Joe, what do you taste? You're like, uh, you know, grapes. I think there's definitely grapes. <laughs> red, red grapes. Is that the right answer? I'm not sure. Maybe wine's not your thing. Or how about this? How about um, expressionist art? Maybe your arty friend starts speaking about all these different, you know, art movements we had all throughout history. How about this, this painting over here? Anyone recognize this? Some of you thinking like, okay, who kicked over all the the paint cans onto the canvas? But the joke's on us, friends, because this Jackson Pollock from 1941, it's called number five, and it was sold in 2016 for a cool 1.75 billion, that's billion with a B, by the way, rand on auction. So this painting is worth 1.75 billion rand. You see, that's what happens often, isn't it? We are caught up in conversations and we feel like this is going right over my head. I don't know about Bitcoin or wine or Jackson Pollock's. It just looks like a blotch to me. Um, It would not gather 1.75 Rand at my auction. But that's often how we feel. We don't know what the significance of these things are, right? And now we come to something like the ascension of Jesus, you see, there are these moments in the life of Jesus, His birth, His death, His resurrection. We even have Christian holidays based around these things, you know, Christmas and Easter and Good Friday that commemorate that. And if, if I were to pick one of you guys, if you're a Christian here this morning, and if I had to ask you, come and tell us something about the, the life or the birth or the death of Jesus and what that signifies, I'm sure you'd be able to thumb suck some good stuff from the Bible, right? You'd be able to say, I think this is what it's about. This is what it says to us. But if I were to pick you up this morning and say, come and stand in the front and tell us why the ascension of Jesus, why him going back to the Father, why is that important? What significance does that have for you and me? I think many of us would feel, Joe, please don't call me out. Don't expose me as someone who has no idea as to what's going on here. I think that's how I felt very often, isn't it? And I want us to see this morning, not only is it important, unlike Bitcoin and maybe wine or Jackson Pollock paintings, this actually has significance for all of us, and it has significant impact on your life and faith in 2019. So can we read together in Acts 1 verse 6, it says this, and so this is after Jesus has been resurrected, he spent time with his disciples, he's appeared to 500 different people, he's, he's taught a bit, he's, you know, spent time with them, and then it comes to this moment, and it said in verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel this time? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And after he said this, this is the crucial moment, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him up out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes, we assuming these are like angelic uh, beings, stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going. Now, that's a a bit of a strange passage, isn't it? Like, we've seen many, like, normal interactions, Jesus speaking with people, and now the strange moment where Jesus, it seems, literally floats into the sky and then disappears, and that's it. And the disciples are all, like, standing, looking into the sky, and then angels appear and tell them, what the heck are you guys doing? So, this is a strange passage, would you agree? But I want to show you two incredibly important things this morning, because it has so great of an impact in your life this morning, on your parenting, on the way that you think about relationships, your vocation, all of it comes from this one moment. But for us to get to the practical stuff, we need to understand a theological truth about what Jesus is doing here. So just two things this morning, very simply, just what are the theological implications of the ascension, and then we're going to get to some of the practical implications for you and me because of the ascension. So let's look at that first one. What are the theological implications of the ascension? So, verse 9, it says this After he had said this, he was taken up. You can read there with me "um, as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. Now, my question is why were they doing this? Why were they kind of aimlessly standing, you know, looking into the clouds? And the answer is because they still did not understand who and what Jesus was. We spoke about this the other day in the the Last Supper. Even after three years, the disciples at times were still clueless as to understand the full scope of what Jesus had come to do. They still saw him as an earthly king. And their reference of a very specific understanding of their Jewish kind of background, they thought, yes, Jesus is going to be this conquering king. He's going to be a political leader. He's going to come and overthrow the Roman government. He's going to put us Jewish people back on top. It's going to be great. You can't wait. When Jesus launches his campaign, it's going to be just, you know, fireworks and tanks and political change. It's going to be awesome. And so Jesus starts, you know, moving up into the heavens, it seems, and they kind of like, Okay, this, I didn't expect this. This is amazing. I'm guessing it's going to be like fireballs, you know, from the clouds or what's going to happen, Jesus, you know, and then he just does, he doesn't come back and they're waiting like, wow, this, you know, this is unexpected, but I'm sure he's going to, you know, he's going to bring the, the army of, you know, of angels are going to come with them now. We're we going to overthrow these Romans and they're just waiting and he doesn't come and he doesn't come and he's, and it says that this cloud just kind of takes him away and they left standing because they still think he is an earthly king. He's here to sort out our issues, and Jesus wants to do something much, much greater. We can see the disciples were as confused as you and I were when we read this passage from the beginning. So what's the ascension all about? Now, a good way to often look at these things is to say what it's not. What is the ascension not? I can tell you that it's not simply Jesus moving geographically from the ground into the sky. <laughs> because that's what many people think. That's the point. Jesus flew up into the sky. That's the point of this passage. You know, 1961, uh, communist Russia, they sent the first man into orbit, Yuri Gagarin. Who remembers that? Well, well, most of us were not born, I'm guessing, at that stage. But some of us remember that. And it is interesting that the premier... Um, of the USSR, he made the statement, he said, we have sent the first man into space and we did not find God there in the heavens and therefore he does not exist. Obviously, communist Russia being an atheist country at that stage. But you see, that reveals a misunderstanding as to how we often also think about heaven, right? Where's heaven? If I asked you point, if everyone closes their eyes and I asked you point to where heaven is, everyone's going to go like this, right? Heaven's up there. Because we sent a man into the heavens. Now, the Bible at times also has language like that. If you go and look at Psalm 19, it says the heavens, in other words, the stars and the moon and, you know, all of that, they point to, they glorify God. The heavens declare the glory of God. But that's not what it says happened here. Jesus did not go into the heavens. It says he went into capital H. He went into heaven. Something much more profound than Jesus floating up into the sky and hiding behind a cloud for the disciples. Because that's what we think. It's like Jesus is like, oh, these guys, look at them. They don't know where I am. And I'm behind a cloud. This is amazing. That's not what's happening. There's something much more significant going on. Let's say Jesus ascended. That word is actually very helpful. Because you and I, we often speak about something. We understand what the word ascend means, right? So we say, you know, the airplane ascended to cruising altitude or we ascended, we're moving upwards, but guess what? We are very careful when we use that language for people. Isn't that right? You don't use the word ascend like very willy-nilly, like when we're setting up everything on a Sunday morning, some of the guys have to maybe get onto a ladder. You're not going to say, guys, stand back. I'm going to ascend upon this ladder. You know, we've got our flat has got two levels, so all the rooms are up top. I don't tell my kids in the evening, "Now thy children, your father is about to ascend up the stairs." You know, that's not what I do. I just, I just go up the stairs. You know, just climb the ladder. So the word "ascend" is very official. It's a strong word. We use it mostly when we think of royalty, right? When there's a coronation, a moment where royalty is instilled onto the throne, we say, maybe the queen or the king, the queen was ascending to the throne. Even in moments like that, in a coronation service or a, a celebration moment, there will usually be a time where the queen or the king or the monarch, whoever it is, you know, there, their throne is put like on a higher platform, There's steps leading up to it. And they will literally, as part of this little moment that they're celebrating, they will walk up the stairs, they will ascend and go and sit down on the throne. But the point is not that they are now just physically higher than everyone else. Yes, that's true. But that's symbolic of what? The fact that they have now taken an an ascended authority over the people. They have ascended into a new place of influence, of leadership. That is what Jesus is speaking about here. You see, if Jesus just wanted to go back to the Father, he could have done that like that. We see after his resurrection and his new resurrected body, he often just appears and disappears. At the end of Luke, with the two guys walking away from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus, it says Jesus just appears next to them. And then at the end of the conversation, he just disappears again. So if he simply wanted to make the practical issue of going back to heaven, he would have just done it. But he is doing something very specific. He is ascending so that all would be able to see what he's doing. And it's not that Jesus is just physically going higher and higher. Oh, wow, how high is he going to go? No, he's making a statement. It's a symbolic statement about who and what he is. Jesus is ascending to the place of king. You know, Mark, when he speaks about this in his gospel account, Mark 16, verse 19, he says, So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, He was taken up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God. In ancient Eastern times, if you sat at the right of the king, now again, this is symbolic. There's not an actual, you know, God with a beard sitting in heaven, and then Jesus literally went and sat down right next to him. This is a symbolic picture to say Jesus has sat down At the right hand of God. And in their culture, if you were sitting at the right hand of the king, you were almost like the prime minister. You were the guy who would administer the law and the authority of the king. You would be the one who would be in charge of saying, now what the king decrees, what this kingdom runs according to I am going to administer that according to the kingdom way. Our son, Benjamin, we've got three kids, our middle child, Benjamin, his name means son of my right hand, hand Uh, son of authority, son of power. Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father. In other words, meaning that Jesus has now taken up his full position as the king over all things. He is now the cosmic king. He is now the cosmic ruler. He is now the one who is going to administer the kingdom of God. And yes, Jesus has always been king. God has always been king over all things. We, we see that in, you know, this three-headed expression, the three persons in one essence of the Trinity, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has always been king over all things. That's true. But in this moment, God has said that this group of people, this mankind, I've given them free will to choose to love and follow me. I've given them a position as light bearers, as image bearers, to be co-vocational partners with me and bringing light into this world. And now in this moment, Jesus is now installed as the head, as the king over the church. He is now the one who has come to live and to die on our behalf. He has resurrected. He has now come to pour out his spirit on his people. He has now started this new spirit-led family called the church And after all these things, he says, now I rise to the place. I ascend, and I go and sit down at the right hand of the Father as the head of the church, as the leader of my people, as the the king of this new kingdom, as the one who is going to lead this renewal project that we call the kingdom of God. He is now that one. And think about this. I mean, God is not bound by space and time. God is outside of that. He's not affected by time or space. That's something that is created. But in Jesus, God comes and he says, I enter into space and time. And so if you wanted to interact with Jesus of Nazareth, you had to live at a certain time and you had to go to a certain place and you had to go and touch his hand and listen to his voice and sit at his feet. He was bound by this geographic moment in time. But now that same Jesus who bears the scars that you and I have as our resurrection, as our forgiveness is our new life. That same Jesus who said, I send you, I commission you, I renew you. That same Jesus who became sin for us on the cross. That man, God, Jesus, now ascends beyond space and time again. And he says, that which I started doing on earth, now I do for all people at all time on a cosmic eternal level. Never again does anyone have to wait to go to God. We have to turn to a certain place to pray. We have to go to a certain space to know. We have to do certain rites and rituals to be found. No, Jesus is the cosmic king of all. It's a big thought, right? It feels kind of like, whoa, my brain. I'm struggling to grapple. Bitcoin, wine, Jackson Pollock, Jesus, the cosmic king. But that's who he is. There's a massive theological statement being made by Jesus. I'm ascending to my rightful place as the head of the church, as the king of all things. Now orient your life according to who I am. Now practically, what does that mean then? Because that's, again, that's, we, we we barely grappling with what that means. What are the practical implications then for Jesus and his ascension? What does that mean for your life and my life this morning? Read with me, verse 8, it says this, he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria, to the ends of the earth, a witness is someone who what? Who comes to speak of, to bring back news of, to report what they have seen. So what is Jesus saying to them? He's saying, now that everything has been completed, it's finished on the cross, I've resurrected, I've defeated death, I've, I've broken down every barrier between you and God. Now, he says, guys, there is a mission. There is a mission that I'm sending you on, and this mission is called the kingdom of God. I want you to go and speak about the kingdom. I want you to go and live the kingdom. I want you to go and express the kingdom, represent the kingdom, build the kingdom, live the kingdom in front of all these people. Bring people through my spirit and power into the kingdom. So he's saying, mission, guys. This is so important. He's psyching them up. I'm sending your hearts as witnesses through my spirit's power. And what's their response? Verse 10. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Now, can we just picture that for a moment? Can you imagine just a couple of men, like in a a group, men and women, disciples standing there, and they're literally standing like this. That's the posture. Jesus says, guys, there's mission. I'm calling you. This is great witnesses to the ends of the earth. And they're all just standing like that, and we don't know how long. Eventually the angels are literally like, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> Jesus said, Go, and they doing what? Now think about this. If you look at that posture of mine, I'm looking straight into the sky. How would you describe that posture? Is it like we marching, we lunging, we going, we moving, we is that is that the posture? No it's like static. It's, it's just kind of, we're doing nothing. We, we, just, we, we just planted both feet on the ground. We are going nowhere. That's what Jesus is confronted with in this moment. I'm, you know, the cosmic king has sent his servants into the world. You know, the kingdom project is going to change this planet. That's what he has. And what changed all of that? What changed that passive observance into the greatest movement this planet has ever seen? It's when the disciples came into a deep understanding of who this Jesus is. When something of the ascended king took hold of their hearts, it all changed. Because you see, Jesus suddenly became more to them than just a good teacher, just a moral man, just an a, you know, initiator of a religious movement. He became the great prophet, priest, and king of their lives. Do you know that in the Old Testament, those are the role players that we have that represent God and man? We have these three people, these three officers that almost play out the drama that we call the relationship that God has to mankind. And it's those three things, the priests, the prophets, and the kings. And the priests are the guys who stand in between God and the people. They offer the sacrifices. They made amends for the sins of man before God. They were the guys who would close that gap in the Old Testament. And then you had the prophets. They didn't stand in the gap between. They spoke on behalf of God. A Jeremiah, for instance, and sometimes they would speak encouraging things and upbuilding things and things that would, that would stir the people's hearts to faithfulness. Sometimes they would speak some very difficult things and truthful things, and they would say that you are losing your calling as the people of God. They would call them back to God, and then the kings, they would rule on behalf of God. They would make sure that the statutes and the kingdom way of God would be lived out amongst the people. But do you see that in this moment where Jesus literally ascends to this highest possible place at the right hand of the Father, he is saying that the whole drama of Israel, the narrative of Israel, the story of God blessing all the people of the world, all of that is finding its, its, its great high point moments in Jesus. And Jesus now becomes our eternal cosmic priest, prophet, and king. There are no more temples needed. There are no more Priests needed, no more prophets needed, no more kings needed, because Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and the king for all time, for all people, forever. He says, Now you put your faith in who I am and what I have done. I am your priest, I am your prophet, I am your king. And it's when I understand the magnitude of who Jesus is, he's not a shampoo model who just walks with his hair kind of flowing in the back and he says nice things. No, he is the elevated, ascended, prophet, priest, and king of the universe. And he says, based on that, now reorient your life toward me. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says it like this. He says, much of our difficulty as Christians stems from our unwillingness to take God as He is and adjust our lives accordingly. No, we insist upon trying to modify Him and to bring him nearer to our own image. Isn't that true? A safe, suburban, maybe white Jesus, or a, a nice, you know, talking, inspirational Jesus, or a give me the car, or the house that I want Jesus. We want to form Jesus into our image. Because that we can handle. A safe Jesus is a nice Jesus. Because that Jesus who walks around with the flowing hair and who's always just saying things that you can instantly put on Instagram and feel good about yourself with, that kind of Jesus will never challenge me. Because the Bible says Jesus was full of truth and grace, John 1 says. The kind of Jesus that we don't like is the Jesus that's full of truth because that Jesus might tell me, you know what? What? When I look at your finances, I see that you are so caught up in materialism, that you are so worshiping the gods of this world, that you cannot even be generous towards the church and my kingdom. That kind of Jesus might tell me, in your relationship with this girlfriend or boyfriend of yours, you are not honoring me sexually. That kind of Jesus might tell me that the way that I'm treating my colleagues is not a good representation of the kingdom of God. But he's full of grace as well. That kind of Jesus might tell me the way that you condemn yourself for something that I have already taken upon myself on the cross. The way that you call yourself this horrible sinner, that is not of me. That kind of Jesus will challenge my thoughts as to God, I need to come to church on a Sunday so that I can make things right with you again. That Jesus will tell me, no, I have made things right on your behalf. You now put your faith in me and follow me. You see a safe Jesus, a safe in the cupboard once a week. I take him out and I do my thing for an hour and a half on a Sunday and I put him back into the cupboard. That kind of Jesus is not the Jesus that we read of this morning. Because this Jesus says, no, I am not your plaything. No, I'm not your PA. No, I'm not your genie in a bottle. No, I'm not your religious practice. I am the cosmic ruler of the world. I am the priest and the prophet and the king for all time, for all people, forever. Now, rearrange your life in faith and in life according to who I am. Because otherwise... I'm just going to get stuck standing into the clouds. And God is going to say, but I've called you for so much more. Can I give you just three quick practical examples of how we get stuck like that? How we get stuck looking into the clouds and how Jesus says, when you get stuck, look to me. You know a way that we get stuck? Is when we mess up. One way that you get stuck like this is when you mess up. God, I'm sorry. I, I did something sexually that I shouldn't have done. God, I, I, I've bent corners at my work that I know I shouldn't have. God, I've, I've been treating my kids or my spouse in a way that I know dishonest you. I have messed up, and now I'm looking into the clouds doing what? I'm wondering, is, are we all right, God? Am I in trouble? I'm sure you are so angry with me right now. God, I can even when I come into church, I'm not even gonna look up because I know you're probably standing there with your arms crossed. You're so angry at me. For God didn't so love the world that he gave a son. For God so hated me that he wants to kill me. That's what John 3:16 says. And I get stuck in fear and in angst because I don't know what God, you know, I'm in the dog box. I'm sleeping on the couch at the moment with regard to my relationship with God because I've messed up. And so I stand still. One of our good friends, she now lives with her husband in the Western Cape. When she just became a Christian as a student, she was on fire for God. He radically saved her. But that first December holiday that she went away with her boyfriend to the ocean, they overstepped their boundaries sexually. And she tells the story of sitting on the beach, and it's not the sun, friends. She's sitting on the beach under, you know, the little umbrella, and she says she is sweating bullets because she's absolutely convinced that God is going to fry her. He's going to sort her out. How dare you do that? How dare you? step over the boundaries, because her picture of God was this evil kind of like warlord taskmaster, and she was waiting for him to sort her out. She was stuck looking into the sky. And listen to what it says here in Hebrews. It says not that you and I can fix this. It says, but this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice, do you hear that? As the great priest who is standing in between God and us after offering one sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down at the right hand of God. When I get stuck because I've messed up as a Christian, the answer is not, how can you fix it? The answer is, call out to your priest, Jesus. And you say, God, yes, I agree relationally. I'm sorry. I know this is not who I've been made to be, but I proclaim and I speak of the righteousness that I have in Jesus, my priest, who represents me forever. Or maybe a second thing you get stuck in is when I drift away from my calling. I drift away from my calling and I'm standing peering into the sky. You know how many times I walked into Donnie, who leads Dr. Of Bloom's office, over many years, and just told them, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be in ministry anymore. It's too difficult. It's too tough. The people are not nice. They don't even smile very often. They don't thank you for anything. It's late hours, and it's small pay, and it's all. I was just, I was over it. I was drifting from my calling. I got stuck wondering, God, why have you put me here? Why me? Why this time? Why this place? Many of you get stuck there. God, why am I in the city of Pretoria in this job? God, why was I married to this person? God, why am I struggling with the kids that you've given me? God, why do I have to be amongst these colleagues? God, why have you given me this friend? Why have you given me this spouse that struggles with that issue? God, why are things like this? And you drift away from your calling. And what the Bible says is in that moment, it's not just that I call out to my priest, but it's that I listen to my prophet. Because Jesus will speak to me the truth of who I am in him. And maybe some of that will be, I've chosen you, so get up. You can do this. I have put my spirit in you. And sometimes it will be, you know what, the, the reason why you're drifting from your calling is because you are so focused on money. You are worshiping money and stewarding your faith, where you should be worshiping faith and stewarding your money. That's why you're struggling at the moment. The reason why you're doubting whether you should be a painter or programmer or poet or plumber or pediatrician is because you are worshiping other things. And I want to call you as your great prophet back to who you are in Christ. That's who He is. It says this in Hebrews 1 verse 1, Yes, long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. In the Old Testament, He spoke to many prophets in many ways at different times. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. The final word that God has for mankind is Jesus. And now find your life by losing your life in Him. Be recreated in Him. Come alive as you pursue Him. Find your joy and your hope and your strength. Find your desires and your ambition in Him. And He will lead you to the calling and the vocation that you should have. When I lose who I am, when I'm stuck and I'm thinking, God, why this city? Why this country? Why this economy? Why this spouse? Why these kids? Jesus says, listen to your prophet because I've called you. And finally, I think we get stuck Staring into the sky when the circumstances of life overwhelm us. That's when sickness comes. That's when my job is suddenly just pulled out from under me. That's when the economy or politics just get the better of me. That's when the backstabbing in my office just overwhelms me. That's when the relational strain in my household is, I can't take anymore. And I look into the sky and I say, God, why is life like this? Why can't it be different? God, are you asleep at the wheel? What is happening? I don't know. I don't understand. I don't have the full picture. I don't have the details. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm disappointed. I'm standing here waiting. And in that moment, it's not just that I call out to my priest or I listen to my prophet. It's that I trust my king it's that i trust my cosmic king jesus because no i don't have all the answers i don't have all the details i don't know why everything is the way it is i can't comprehend all things of all time and all situations i don't have the perspective of god but i can trust him and obey him and when life is falling apart i can say god i know that you are still king Just listen to what Colossians 1 says. It speaks of Jesus in these massive terms, and it says about Him, For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Do you hear that, friends? All things, that includes you and me, have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He's before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Can I ask you this morning, in my life and in yours, does Jesus, in your sexuality, in your finances, in your relationships, in your vocation, in the way that you think about our city and our country, in the way that you speak, in the way that you repent and forgive, in the way that you engage with the people of Pretoria, is Jesus first in everything, because when he is, I won't have a storm-free life as we've often said, but I will have a storm-proof life. Yes, Jesus, everything is falling apart at the moment and I don't understand, but I can still trust and obey you as my king. As the cosmic king, Jesus. have right, to finish off this morning and then I want to just pray for us. Let me end on a, on a comical note. Who's heard of the show... Veggie Tales. Some people are like, I think so. This is not one of those wine moments. Don't worry. Like This is not a high culture. This is Christian culture, by the way. So, only in the Christian world will you find a TV show where talking vegetables tell you about God, right? So, that's what Veggie Tales is. I did not know about this prior to this research as well. But VeggieTales was this massive hit in the Christian world in the, the late nineties and early two thousands. And they would through song and comedy and you know, just having a good time, they would tell young kids about Jesus and about God and about the Bible and about the kingdom. And it's amazing that, you know, in 2003, their parent company went, you know, bottom up and this property, VeggieTales, started bouncing around a couple of owners. And now in 2019, it's getting rebooted to Netflix. So there's going to be a new VeggieTales, I'm guessing in 4K or whatever it is on Netflix. So you're going to have, you know, HD veggies that you can, that you can observe. But the point is this, I want you to just to quickly read, listen to what the creator of VeggieTales, Phil Vischer, he says this in a confession in 2011. He said, I looked back at the previous 10 years and realized I'd spent 10 years trying to convince kids to behave Christianly without actually teaching them Christianity. It's so much easier to teach morality. It's so much easier just to tell a Bible story, pull out a moral value and end with a Bible verse. But you never actually get to the message that leads to regeneration being made new, that leads to new life, that leads to the fruit of the Spirit. And that's the core of the gospel. Rather than just saying, this is how the Bible wants you to behave. Saying, this is the story that the Bible places you inside of, which is the gospel. See, being told, be a good person, live like this, be the kingdom, that will not help us. But it's hearing that someone has gone before us. And it's in his story that we have been taken up. And at the pinnacle of the story of mankind is found in this person, Jesus, and what he has done. That is good news. And that when I lay my life down before him, I can find it anew. Friends, Jesus does not, as he ends off his ministry, tell his disciples, okay, guys, you can do it. I believe in you. You've got everything you need. No, he says, look to your ascended priest, prophet, and king. And know that I am in you, and with you, and for you, and now go. And when you get stuck in your own brokenness, when you get stuck in your confusion, when you get stuck in this life, the answer is not found in you, it's found in me inside of you. Jesus, our ascended King. Let's pray together. God this morning I just pray God for every single person. And for anyone who feels stuck at the moment, God, may you just overwhelm them with the grace and the truth of Jesus. And God, may we find ourselves calling out to you, listening to you, obeying and trusting in you. And may we find a hope not in our own abilities, not in our deficiency, but in your sufficiency. And I pray, God, may we be a church that is filled with the joy and the hope and the mission-hearted and family-focused spirit of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.